Welcome to Becoming Parents Podcast. I'm Jen Taylor, your host. I am mom of 18, and you can find me on momsrunningit.com. Remember, give a shout out to those who are brave enough to share their stories with us on how they have become parents. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Becoming Parents. I'm Jen Taylor, your host. Today, I'm super excited. I have Walker Brandt on. Walker, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I feel good. I'm grateful. Yeah, woke up and did my sky breath, did my yoga, <laughs> feeling good. It's all yeah. you need. I The only thing that we talked about in our pre-gaming really was how proud I am of you for coming forward and unabashedly sharing this journey. Um, infertility, cysts, endometriosis, fibroids, nine surgeries, miscarriage, uh, menopause, and you almost died in surgery, punctured uterus, um, deciding not to go IVF, uh, losing your uterus, and then how, what a family looks like for you. So this is really massive to discuss infertility on such a deep level. And I am truly proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's so nice feeling it from another woman. Um, cause as, as you know, we, we, we kind of keep, keep things silent when it comes to this kind of stuff. We, we walk it in this stoic way, thinking that we, we don't want to tell anyone because we feel, at least I did. I felt like I wasn't a whole woman for a really long time. Yep. 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 Even after I had been pregnant when I had my miscarriage at 33 and I had gone through infertility. So it'll be interesting to see what, where our journeys overlap and where they're very different, which I know that they are, but it, I felt like I lost choice and I felt like I was less of a woman. Like if I don't have my female parts, what makes me like really a woman that sensual sexual ability to have babies that it took something away from me a lot that you have to work through. So I, and one conversation that I've had with all of my girls is every single woman you see everywhere, no matter if it's a woman anywhere, she has had a period and had to buy tampons and pads. And why, why do we act like, I'm sorry, sorry, I have to buy these pads. So sorry, like embarrassed and explaining it. Like there's something we need to explain away. And from that, from being embarrassed that we have our period and that we need to buy something to, to take care of a normal function of our body all the way through, we don't talk about it and we don't embrace it and we're not okay with our shame. And I think that sucks. So I'm really excited. I want you to just jump into your story, wherever it makes the most sense to you with whether it started with your cycles or in high school or like you just jump in and I want you to just start sharing. Okay. Well, I, I want to say one thing on just in response to what you just said, because that being embarrassed, um, <laughs> I, it, I can launch from there from the time I started my period. I started my period really young at 11. And um, I remember my mom I came home from school and my mom, you know, this has been handed down this feeling of shame, this feeling of, Oh God, here it comes. Oh gosh, what's happened in my life. Um, as a child for me, I felt like, cause I'm a, I, I'm still a tomboy <laughs> and I was really a full blown tomboy as, as a little girl. I spent a lot of time alone in nature and I was, just very much a little boy that way, very courageous, didn't have any, you know, I just didn't feel the fears that so many little girls are taught to fear, to feel. I didn't feel those in nature. So I didn't embrace that. So when I started my period at such a young age, it was like, what is happening? It almost felt like for me, as my body was, what's happening? Why, what, what are you doing to me? It was like, I was being betrayed by my body because I couldn't go swimming anymore when I wanted to. I couldn't just take off and go play all day. I had to think about like, when I went to school, it was like, you know, sitting at my desk. I was just so afraid. What if something happens? Just, I felt like my freedom was shrinking away. That was like the beginning of this freedom. And my mom, when I came home from school, and I said, I think there's something wrong with me. 
And I showed her my panties and she said, oh, you're starting your period. And that's all she said. Oh, you're starting your period. And I went, okay, what does that mean? And she went into the thing, into under the sink. And she goes, I bought these. So you have them when this happens. I had an older sister. She hadn't started hers yet. And um, there were these tiny, tiny little tampons. So, and she said, use these. And she walked out of the bathroom and closed the door. (laughs) (laughs) And that was it. There wasn't like any kind of anything. I was like, okay, well, how do I do this? And that's because I think as women, you know, my mom came from a really rough childhood and difficult family environment. And, you know, three, three boys, two girls, alcoholism, abuse, a lot of stuff going on in her family that was extremely painful for her. She got pregnant very young. She had an older sister when she was 18 in high school. She had me when she was 19. Um, she just went through a lot. And so having us go, how could she, you know, she didn't consciously make a choice. I'm not going to do what my mom did to me. I'm not going to do this to my kids. And I think as women, if we don't literally have that moment with ourselves and say those words, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to do this differently with my children. I'm going to do this differently with myself right now. I'm going to go back and deal with my child inside that did not get that first. So I know what it feels like. So I can give this to my child. And if you don't do that as a woman, then how do you know? How do you know how to treat your, your child? How do you know how to treat yourself? So, and I think, as I said, it's generational. I think women, I mean, I just imagine the first man that saw this, that saw a woman having her period. It must've scared the shit out of him. Must've literally scared the shit out of him. How is she not dead? Number one, especially the way I had periods. I was like going on. I was crazy. Yeah. Exactly. So I was like, okay, how is she not? How? Because that's all we knew. If you go back to the beginning of, of us as beings, we knew that when we bled, we were injured. We didn't know that this was what this was. So over time, and then the first man sees a woman have a child. At that point, you got to recognize as a man, I may be strong, but that's powerful. <laughs> that is amazing. A life just came out of this being. And if you aren't in full honoring of that, if you are not in full respect of that, you're going to look at that in fear. You're going to look at it with uh, confusion. And what is the woman going to think? Something's wrong with her. Something isn't right about there's this, this, this is not normal. She's going to feel the feelings because that's what we are as women. We are these deep feeling beings. And I'm not saying men aren't, but women have this capacity. We carry life. We are the only being that has the ability to forgive, to go through the, not just forgive in general, but forgive in an instant. We go from such tremendous pain and purging, get this out of me, away from me to absolute love and acceptance, absolute embracing that in a split second. Man does not, isn't, hasn't been asked physically to do this. We have. So we have that. So we're deep in that way. And if that's not honored, we're going to develop shame. We're going to develop guilt. We're going to develop these feelings. That's why I think it's so, so long ago that we as women have to go into ourselves and recognize that this isn't just our, this is every woman has been through this. We need, can we come together and release this as women for our own sakes so that our girls and our men who come through us know how to honor this, this power that we have, this gift that we have. They don't look at it in fear. They don't look at it in, ooh, they don't look at it in, ah, they look at it in honoring, in I need to respect this. My job is to protect this. My job is to love this, not to try and understand it, but just to honor it. Just like we have things to honor in men. And so that's, that's how I feel about it. And I, so as a, as a young girl, of course, I didn't have any of this going on now. It, my journey gave me this perspective. So I'm grateful for it. 
I think I, not, o- not only do women not talk about it together and heal from it, but we're mean to each other a lot of the time. And that like that, I don't even understand that we're all going through the same stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, and it's, you know, human beings, we compete. It's natural. It's, you know, we're, we're animals too, you know, we're these intellectual animals. So we have this natural, you know, desire to have what we want. We have these urges, we have these, you know, we just, that's nature. It's who we are. We are nature. So we, to not use our intellect, our compassion, our heart, our capabilities to let this stuff go and to look at every woman and see, for me, seeing God in women, seeing all creation in women, seeing the beauty, the beauty in women. I have to see that when I see women. When I look at you, I see another beautiful woman on this planet who's healing women, who's out there speaking about things that we think we can't talk about, but we must. We must talk about these things so they aren't taboo, so they aren't creating these fear, you know, reactions, and that we can respond to things in a way that is compassionate and kind, and gives our little girls the ability to stand on their two feet in a strong, confident way. And I mean, we have a 28 year old and she's my, she, I'm a bonus mom. And I have four from my previous one is gone, has left the planet and three that are still here from my previous marriage. But we just had Father's Day with, um, Hallie and she's, you know, she's 28. She's got so much more comfort in her body about who she is as a woman than Mm. I did. And, and it's like, it, it makes me so happy to see her in that way. And I know it's because we've evolved to the point where we're learning to do this, to give this to our children. We all have, you know, our issues and whatnot, but her mom and I both work hard to give, you know, her that stability that we didn't have and to give her that kindness and compassion we didn't have. And um, so, so back to when I was a child. So I started my period at 11. I started developing cysts when I was, 13, 12, 13. So it was almost instantly, I was in a lot of stress in my home life. It was a very traumatic environment. So I started developing these ailments and it was in my family genetics. My great aunties, both fraternal twins had hysterectomies when they were 16 years old. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because one found a doctor found a, and it was probably a fibroid, but he found a growth in one and said it was cancer. And this was, you know, way back. So it was very scary, but they thought it was something terrible. So they took her uterus out and they took her sisters out because she was an identical or a fraternal twin. <laughs> it's like the barbaric craziness in our, wow. So, you know, so there were these issues. My mother had issues as well. Um, so first it was cysts and then it turned into endometriosis by the time I was 16. And I had just such painful, excruciating periods that I couldn't go to school sometimes. I just couldn't, I couldn't function. You know, it was, uh, my hormones were all over and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't think. I was killed over all the time. The pain was so severe. So I'd stay home sometimes for a week. And that created problems with school. And uh, I I had really heavy periods. And then from that, in my late, late teens, early 20s, is when the beginnings of the endometriosis turning into fibroids. Mm. And it was, I mean, my doctors didn't notice it for years. There, you know, there just hasn't been a lot of understanding about what we go through as women. There, there hasn't in the medical field. I think it's been. What's interesting, super interesting, not in a good way to me is I went through my oldest biological daughter is 30 and I went through infertility to become pregnant with her. And she's got some of the same fertility or infertility issues that I had that lots of women in our family 
have experienced and in 30 years nothing's changed no it, it it's crazy that my doctors i remember i don't think i've ever even told this story um there was i went to a a private school for uh kids that were i had run away several times and i refused to go home so i went to a school that was for kids that were runaways or okay. kids that were from traumatic homes and they needed, you know, there were kids from a lot of kids from LA were there and we lived in central California at this time. Okay. So I had been in a halfway house and I, from one of my runaways and one of the difficult environment, you know, conflicts and traumatic experiences at my home. And, um, so I, they, they asked me, said that I had to go home and I said, I won't. <laughs> And I said, I'm not going, I'm not going home. And I was a very strong kid. And um, well, where, well, where will you go? And I, you have to go to school. And I said, well, I'm not going back to school. I couldn't go back to school. I was felt so much shame. I had gone through such a, such a difficult event, um, physical altercation um, at my house that, that I had nearly passed out in school. And so, and I had, I was really messed up. And so I, um, I ran away and, uh, and they said, well, there's some schools. They told my parents, she's not coming home. She'll just run away again. There are, there is a school not far away. It's in the mountains and, um, they have horses. She loves horses, which I rode horses all the time. I always found horses around that I could take care of and I could ride. They just healed me. I connected so deeply with horses, Jen. They were like a savior to me. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I went to this school and I had, an, I had an issue come up with my, my periods and I had to be taken down, I had to be taken to the doctor. And I remember at 14 that going into the hospital and you know having a doctor, just a male that I don't know, just put me in a room, tell me to take my panties off, my pants off and put my legs up on this thing. And he's going to examine me and touch me. And I have to tell you, this is, There needs to be more care. Yeah, I'm so for sorry. For young girls. There needs to be something special that young women are given in that moment when they're asked to share this part of their body. That's so, that's been such a learning experience and disruption and life-changing event coming from this, this part of us. So now we need to go and have somebody who's a professional look at our bodies. Mm -hmm. There needs to be some process and protocol where the young girl is embraced, I think, either by nurses and other women, held and let her know she's safe, let her know that this is for your own care. This is for your own understanding and expansion of understanding in this area, your own learning as a woman. This is not to make you feel invaded or, um, you know, I guess invaded is a really good word, um, mistreated or any kind of, and the, and the experience was so just clinical and cold. There was nothing like that. There was nothing like that. So it was like, and I remember just shutting down. It was just like, what just happened? What just happened? <laughs> I was like, what was this? I mean, thank God I can laugh now, but I know it shut me down for years because I just wanted to tune out that part of my body. I didn't want to have to 
you know, I didn't, I didn't want to have to go through that again. <laughs> I didn't want to have to, but I had to, because I had these issues. So I had to keep, so I ended up literally creating a part of me that I would bring to the surface during those experiences. And it was just like this, you know, tough girl. And I just, I remember just, I was just tough <laughs> and I would just not react. And that I think creates, I'm sure it was the beginning of me creating those walls around myself. And, you know, at 18, I had a doctor tell me I should get a hysterectomy because I would probably never have children because of the degree of my endometriosis. And that was devastating. And then, and she put me on, pill, on pills, by the way, that's another thing they used to do. And maybe they still are doing it. They put you on the pill immediately to deal with these issues, which is like the worst possible thing. You're like a lab rat. They're experimenting on you. They still and do it. They still do it. It's yeah, horrible. It's, it's horrible because that ends up giving you infertility. So I, I'm put on the birth control pill from the time I'm 12, 13. That's when they start because I can't go to school every month. So let's put her on birth control pills to see what that does. Right. And, uh, and that actually, I think, caused the endometriosis. If you, you know, that and the, the environment I was in, you know, that was just my, my sensitive area. So it was all like this perfect storm. And, um, and then at 18, I ended up, while on birth control pills, while on diuretics, while on another drug, getting pregnant. And my doctor said to me, I'll never forget it, Jen. You know, I was an athlete, you know, exercise, a very fit girl, riding my horses, <clears throat> living my life as a young kid. And then at this point, working and just very physical. And I'm fit and I'm noticing, I'm looking down, I'm going, and I'm calling my doctor. Like, I feel like my breasts are getting bigger. She goes, oh, that's just the pill. It makes you retain water and that's why you're on the diuretic. I'm okay. I didn't know. So I'm, right. I'm like, well, it's still happening. And I call her and she goes, just, you need to up your dose of the diuretic. Sometimes this happens. She's just like changing the medicines, prescribing other stuff. So I didn't see her for the longest time. It was like four months. I finally go in and the look on her, what just happened? <laughs> I'm sorry. The look okay. on her face. I must've hit my screen. I didn't disappear everyone. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I go to the doctor's office. I look on her face or she takes it. She goes, I'm not, she feels my breast. She goes, Hmm. And her face like starts to change. She's getting like whiter. She goes, I'm going to take a quick test. She doesn't even tell me she's taking her pregnancy test. That's how bizarre it is. She's not even telling me that that's what she's doing. She takes a test. I'm, I'm young. I don't, you know, I'm not really, plus I'm, you know, a survivor through trauma. And at this point I've been a runaway. I left home at 15 permanently, 15 and a half. So I was a runaway and I was emancipated at this point and I was starting my own life, but I had been through, I was, you know, getting my life in order. I had my job. I was trying to create my own life. So I wasn't, you know, on my own. I, I, I wasn't thinking about those details. It was like, you know what I mean? She was yep. able to take a test without me knowing what it was. That's how focused on my, you know, just survival I was. And so she comes back in and she's just like, the look is, it's like that, you know, right. she's like looking at me, like, just like total, I look at her and I'm like, what, what's, what's wrong? And she said, you're pregnant and there's no way the fetus can survive with medications you're on. We need to schedule a termination immediately. And I mean, it, I was just in complete shock. What? I'm pregnant? I remember telling my boyfriend, you know, we were just living our lives. We were doing, you know, it was great. And he was like, oh my God, how are you pregnant? You're on the pill. You're on these drugs. I mean, 
they told you to have a hysterectomy for God, you know, how, how are you? She doesn't know what I have to go get. He's like, well, we're not ready to have a kid. You know, he, he like freaked out about even thought of it. And I said, mm-hmm. I, I can't have a kid. She said, I have to terminate because I couldn't survive. And let me tell you, Jen, what pure talk about feeling helpless, no choice, mm-hmm. no choice. So I just did what she said. I went to this doctor and I had to have this procedure where they put something inside me and I had to wait for 24 hours. And then I had to go back. It was It's horrifying. Yeah. It's horrifying. You also, I mean, not like that's like, that's not enough. Let's throw some more in here. You had nine surgeries and drug induced menopause. So we know about the endometriosis and the fibroids and cysts and like, it's just, everything's a mess, which is pretty much what they told me to not the same situation, but similar, like it's a mess and we don't know how to fix it. Um, you also, so the nine surgeries and this, there's a surgery where your uterus was punctured while trying to prepare you for IVF, but then you chose not to go IVF. And I know you ended up with a hysterectomy. Take me through those surgeries, menopause. And I'm, I know, I think I know why you chose not to go IVF, but that process. Okay. So at the first time that I was put through medical induced menopause, I was 20 years old. Oh my gosh. 20 years old. I was put on drugs for eight months that shut down my uterus to try and get rid of the endometriosis. And it was so bizarre. And this was like, cause I said, no, you're not taking my uterus when I was told that from the same doctor, you're not going to be able to have kids. You should just have a hysterectomy. It's like, that's just insane. I want to have kids. It was like my, everyone that knows me, I'm, I'm a mom. I'm just, a, I'm just a mom. That's who I am. And I was not giving that up. I was just not giving my uterus up. So eight months of being on steroid drugs that shut down my uterus and coming out of that and having the endometriosis shrunk down, put, then I was put back on, um, birth control pills. The first surgery was at that time. I had a laparoscopy to try and take out some of the, you know, clean out some of the, um, scar tissue and endometrial tissue. So that, that was first, then it was the the drug-induced menopause. I had about, I don't know, a year afterward where it seemed like, wow, maybe something, maybe this is getting better. Then I started getting colitis. I started getting this just, was terrible. I couldn't eat anything without having to run to the bathroom. And it was my muscles were in spasm because the endometriosis was coming back. And it was just, my uterus was in spasm. All my whole lower region was at that time. And so I ended up having another laparoscopy and then I had another laparoscopy and then I had another one. And then I went in, I mean, it was like laparoscopy, laparoscopy, it was just constant. Okay. It became a routine for them. All right. This is, this is what we have to do. It's time for another laparoscopy and we'll try another pill and we'll try something else, another drug. My husband and I, wanted to try and get pregnant. We wanted to have a baseball team, <laughs> not, not quite as big as your, your crew, but <laughs> which is absolutely amazing to me. It's just absolutely, I just have to acknowledge how beautiful that picture is. I mean, oh, that thank picture you. of all of you. Oh my gosh. So amazing. So my husband and I, we've known, we've known each other for 34 years. And we, at that point, knew each other for 11 years. When we started dating. We've married for 21 now. And we wanted to have kids. We, you know, both wanted to have kids. He had his daughter 
from his previous and I, and she was tiny. And so she, and we wanted to create a family around her and uh, give her siblings. And so we went to my doctor and said, how do we try and make this happen? And my doctor was like, and my doctor was so hopeful. Oh, she's such a lovely person. She's retired now, but this is a new doctor. She was, she, you know, she really wanted me to succeed. You know how much I wanted it, but she, she had her reservations. Mm-hmm. She said, I'm going to send you to Dr. Uh, her, one of her associates. I don't want to say his name. Um, and um, you're going to have a procedure that's going to scrape the scar tissue out of your uterus and prepare your uh, eggs to implant on new tissue. That's the surgery where my uterus was punctured. And I think it was called a, was it a hysteroscopy? I think it was hysteroscopy. And um, I laid in the in the um, recovery for about four hours. And I kept sitting up and I'd just get dizzy and I'd drop back down. I'd sit up and I was like, something's wrong. I usually, cause I had had so many up to this point, I'd go into recovery and I'd be gone in an hour and a half. So it was like, it, would be, it became routine. And um, finally, one of the nurses and this, you know, there were quite a few people recovering. Finally, one of the nurses said to me, we got to check. This isn't normal. We, we better check what's going on. Her heart rate's dropping. I heard her say, I heard her take my heart rate. She goes, oh my God, that's really low. I was bleeding internally. I was laying there for four hours, bleeding internally from a punctured uterus. And they just didn't know. And, um, and so they rushed me to the hospital, called my doctor. My doctor was halfway between Catalina and, and mainland. And she flew, flew her in. She's the only doctor that I would, I just begged for her when we went into the um, emergency. And she told me later that my whole inside of my body was filled with blood. And she literally had to take my intestines. She's like, I had to take your intestines and I had to pull them up and clean so much blood out of your cavity. She's like, I can't believe what you just went through. It was just one of those experiences. And she saved my life. You know, it was, I was very close to dying. I, I, I lost more than two pints of blood. Um, it was bad and um, it was close. And she, at that point, she looked at me and she goes in recovery a couple of days later, she goes, you don't have any adipose tissue. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it was such a funny thing. She's like, you cool. know what, what is that? Uh-huh. I didn't even know what it was. She goes, you, you don't have any fat in there. When I was looking inside, she goes, I just didn't realize it to the degree. You don't have any fat in there. You've just, your body's been working so hard because most of us when we're trying to get pregnant. You know, we create a little bit in there naturally. She didn't have any in there. And so, um, yeah, that was that surgery. It took me about a year and a half to completely recover Mm -hmm. from the impact of it. Um, but I did, uh, it mentally, that was part of the recovery too. I mean, physically I recover really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I wanted, you know, my husband and I wanted to still try and have kids after I recovered. Can we try? I didn't want to go through that again, but is there IVF. Can we try IVF? So I went to a doctor, um, a specialist in IVF and he, we did a few cycles Mm -hmm. and he got really nervous about me because I started bleeding. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, I don't think that you should do this. I'm just going to say that I think you're high. I mean, one, one, you're high risk Two, I'm afraid that you could bleed out with a pregnancy with what, what you've been through. There's a, the scar tissue, the surgeries you've had. And when I'm implanting these eggs, the response your ovaries and your uterus are having are not typical. Um, I just like would go into 
my uterus would just go into spasm and I miscarried. Oh, and I miscarried several times during that period where I was going through that. I would get pregnant for, a, a, and I, it would reject it. It would like hold for a very short time. And I went through two or three of those experiences and I just put them out of my mind of, okay, this is not another miscarriage. This is just the response because it was just too much. It was like the first time it happened, it was like, what? Mm -hmm. So my, my uterus is literally just rejecting because it was almost like my uterus was saying, I can't do this. And my mind was saying, I want this, but my body was saying, I can't do this. You've been through enough. I can't, I, my uterus couldn't. And that's when he told me this, this moment, my husband and I said, I don't think you should do it. I think you should consider other options because I'm afraid that you, you could bleed out. And so my husband and I looked at each other and said, we didn't marry each other to have children. We marry each other because we love each other. We have Hallie and we have, and I have kids from my previous marriage and we'll just take a breath and see where this leads and something else. We make another choice. And, and that's kind of that, that route. And, um, four years after that, the pain I went to, I had a UAE trying to get rid of the fibroids. The fibroids came in, in my, like I said, my, my mid to late twenties, they got symptomatic in my early thirties. And I bled at one point for two years. Mm. I mean, I had a period that went on every single day. Mm -hmm. I had pads and tampons everywhere <laughs> my girlfriend and I still laugh about it she's like you had them everywhere I, I mean I literally just had all these little hiding places because I just never knew when it was going to be one of those moments and um I just got really tired of the bleeding Jen mm -hmm. I just got so tired of it and um and the pain and the medication and the no answer and the I can't have kids and the I mean like the list and the years yeah. You, you decided to have a hysterectomy, which is a tough decision. Oh my gosh. It was a really tough decision. Um, my doctor and I had a long conversation. This was my other doctor had retired. So this was a new doctor that I was seeing and I adore her and she's actually retiring now. And she said, I don't see that we're going to be able to stop the symptom the symptomatic fibroids without medication, nonstop medication. Right. You don't want to be on medication. So this is your option. And I went through this experience of how do I let go of my uterus? How do yeah. I let go of my uterus? How do I say goodbye to not just this part of my body that I associate so much of being a woman with, but that I have been fighting for, I had named my uterus UT. <laughs> it was like, I got you UT, I'm doing my best. I'm trying, I'm trying, you know, I was like trying so hard to save my uterus. And I had to, I just had to make a decision. My husband and I talked about it and we, we just said quality of life. Yeah. It's been a 20 year battle. Yep. Let's let this go. And so my doctor called in a great, uh, great surgeon who was an oncologist surgeon because she wanted to make sure that there was nothing there. She wanted to just make sure because there's so little they know. They just like are always, you know, I think, and she, but she wasn't hundred percent certain, sure to do it herself. She wanted the best support. And so she, oh gosh, he was, he was such a great doctor and saved a lot of women's lives that have had ovarian and, and cervical cancer and uterine cancer and a wonderful doctor. And so uh, I remember going into the surgery and I remember the conversation with him. And I, I just remember it was kind of like a, a trance. I was like in a, almost like a trance feeling, but I was at peace with it too, until after. Mm. And it was very similar to the time when I had that, 
when I had the, my doctor tell me I had to have an abortion. Yeah. Which, you know, termination, abortion. Um, I cried for two months. I felt like, I mean, the grief I felt after that, the change in my body, my boobs went away. They all changed. I literally lactated after that experience. That's how long she left it. That's how far I was. It was at four months. Oh, wow. That, yeah, it was horrifying. So um, I, I just wanna take a pause right now and share the level of shame I walk through with that knowledge for so many years and that I let go of, I still, as a woman, let go of it. I still do. I don't feel like there's something wrong with me that I'm a bad person, but I have to walk that girl in me through loving herself and accepting herself and the limited understanding and knowledge she had and what she had been through at that time. I have to do that work all the time when that comes up because it's just something that I think is part of the deal as a woman when you go through something like that. It is for me. It's part of the deal for me because I, I make myself look right at it and deal with it. And it feels so good to, to take that part of me and hold that part of me in my own arms and say, it's okay and be the mother that she didn't have at that time and be the support that she needed and give her the forgiveness that I'm equipped to give for not knowing. And the doctor for telling me I had to, I've had to work through all of that. That was huge. So after letting go of my uterus, which I didn't expect, the grief that I went through, and that was the similarity, the grief of something so different in my body now. There's something gone. And I didn't think I would feel less of a woman. I didn't feel like that was gonna, I didn't know that that was gonna happen. It wasn't a feeling that I was, I knew it was a big decision, but I didn't realize that that was gonna be part of the price I would pay, mm -hmm. that I would feel that. So I walked through that for a couple of years um, just moving through that feeling, you know, awkward about sex, my husband and I walking through it, feeling like, you know, how am I, can, am I going to have an orgasm again? Is this ever going to happen? Am I going to feel again? For the longest time, I was like not letting myself have one. I was so, you know, also Jen, the amount of, um, pain I had had during sex for so many years with the, you know, the scar tissue and, you know, what guys don't realize and is that when you've got scar tissue in there, when there's something in there, moving it around, it's like little tears, little like razor blades. And I would just shut that, you know, I would just deal with it because it was like, I can't expect my husband to be feeling my pain, you know, I really wanted to be with my husband and have great sex, but it was like, I was in pain a lot of the time. And there were some times where it was like, oh, there's no pain. Wow. What's happening. And it was like, oh, let's have a party. And then other mm -hmm. times where it was like, okay, it's back. What's going on? Well, oh, you know, total betrayal. So after, you know, after the hysterectomy, then there's this, this period of feeling this I'm not a woman trying to explain it to my husband, trying to explain the grief. He has no understanding because, you know, he's a dude. How is he going to understand the grief of a woman losing a part of her body? He doesn't. He can't. You can't expect him to. And, um, and of course, he, my husband's such a loving, gentle person trying so hard to have that, you know, trying so hard and trying and patiently dealing with my grief, trying to understand why I'm feeling so much. How can I feel so much sadness? when I don't have any pain anymore. <laughs> it's like, you don't have pain, but how can you feel sad? 
I feel you. I understand. I felt like I got put into a different body and I didn't like it as much in some ways. And in other ways, I almost felt guilty. Like I didn't realize I felt so bad until I didn't feel bad anymore. All the pain, like everything that you're going through just constantly for as far back as you can remember when that was all taken away. Honestly, I hadn't felt that good since I was 15 years old. Right. So there was that part of me and I almost felt guilty. Like it was like, woo, I'm a playground now. Like this is great. And then there's other parts, scar tissue that you have to deal with. And then there are other parts that people don't realize when they remove your uterus and cervix that orgasm is not the same ever again. Like you, you have to relearn your entire body. And that part has never been as good for me. The orgasm, the sex is better, but the orgasm's way different. And that you feel like you're less of a woman. You see other women walking around like, well, she probably has a uterus and she's a whole woman. And just like, the, there's a lot going on. I mean, there's even shame and guilt that you're relieved and you feel better. Yes, absolutely. I so went through that. And for me, it was as far as feeling my, when I started to have an orgasm again, it was like, oh, there's not, I'm not in pain. Right. So that's good. Wow. <laughs> that's new. Okay. There's an intensity difference, but that's new. Huh, huh. That's new. Yeah, exactly. It was like, okay. So yep. this is what they're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I had rarely had orgasms without pain. Yeah, me too. Because it's a contraction of the uterus. And so then what's yeah. it like to have them when your uterus isn't contracting? Oh, you still totally have them. And but it's it is so different. And because there's no discussion about all the things physically and emotionally that you're going to go through and that they contradict each other. Like I feel better than I've ever felt. And I also in some ways don't really like how I feel. And all of it, there's no conversation about it at yeah. all. No. And so it's very confronting and confusing. And there's, there's a lot you have to work through and yeah, it's, it's a shame. I mean, I remember my doctor saying you might not be as wet anymore. Oh, not a problem. Freaking no, problem. like not that's, <laughs> like, that's the only thing he said to me. I'm like, so I'll go from garden hose to faucet. Like, I'm not sure. That's it. It was, and it was like, he was uncomfortable talking to me about that. Oh, totally. Totally. That was oh it. Yeah. Yeah. Even my doctor who's a woman didn't know how to, what to say to me. She goes, I really oh my don't gosh. know. I really don't know what is going to happen. Cause she hasn't right. been through it and women don't talk about it. So her patients aren't telling her, Oh, by the way. Oh, by the way. Oh, by the way, this is huge. Exactly. And, and for, and, you know, and for my husband, oops, sorry if that made a noise. Um, my okay. husband, um, God bless him, his patience and love of just, you know, every time, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying patience as far as, you know, being patient with me going through, that's not the kind of patience I'm talking about his patience in, in just letting me be and not letting his desire for me be the only way or the only thing, the only experience in the room during sex for a really long time. His sensitivity right. was, you know, I mean, because guys understandably get carried away by their, you know, penis. It's like, suddenly <laughs> it's like, okay, this is gone. And this is, I mean, it's an age old saying because it's legit. It happens. Yeah. And my husband had to deal with being present in a new way with me. Like he would ask me, how are things going? And I have to say that even that during my issues, I had issues with the, with, with being wet during that whole period, during all the, you know, uh, drug induced, um, menopauses. I went through two of those during that period where I was getting laparoscopies before the hysterectomy. I went through uh, Depolupron induced twice. So three times I went through menopause before the age of menopause. And, and now I'm the age of menopause, but my body's like, screw that. <laughs> I've already been there. <laughs> I don't have any, 
of it. Thank you, Lord. Check. <laughs> yes, exactly. Check, check, check. And, but my husband was so patient with that because he was, you know, and then when I started feeling my, started letting go of allowing myself to feel good about not being in pain when I yeah. let go and I just said, okay, my life is better in many ways. Right. I can go do, I'm like you said, 15, I can go out and go swimming now whenever the, I want, <laughs> I can wear white pants. I can wear white pants. Thank you. <laughs> like you don't even understand your wardrobe completely changes. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is a miracle. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's, right. yeah. When I got there, then it became a whole new experience. And now it's a whole new experience for me. It's exploring my body in a way I never had the opportunity to as a woman ever throughout my whole sexual experience. I never was able to just experience sex and right. intimacy in this way without worry. There was always yep. pain or worry, pain or worry. Cause I never knew when my period was going to come on and sex would sometimes bring one on, even yep. though I just had one. So it was like, yeah. I had sex sometimes because the contraction of the uterus during orgasm could actually, it was like, I was hemorrhaging. Like you said, you know, your, your uterus is just freaking out. And sometimes that would just interrupt it enough that it would actually calm things down. It was really painful when that happened, but it was, it was not a fun experience. No, no. I mean, it was, but it was not a fun experience. So you come to the realization you're not going to physically have children. And this whole time, what I think is fascinating is that you've had a stepdaughter. I, I want to kind of wrap up that journey. You had to really switch gears that that was the way you were going to parent. And what was, what's her biological mom? And I know she's older now. So not that I want you to speak for the biological mom or for your stepdaughter. What, what was that like with them even, or or was it just with you, with you making that mental switch? It was challenging to say the least. Um, when my husband and I were trying to get pregnant, it was, it was really challenging because we were going through that period. I mean, let's like segue over to parenting for a moment. Mm. Being a step parent is, yeah. you know, a whole new journey. And as we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation about women treating women not well and not, not kindly, even though we have the capacity to be so loving to one another, we tend to not do it. Right. Um, being a stepmom is not an easy job. Um, it's difficult for the mom yep. to have another woman come in and participate in raising her child. Yep. It's something that creates a lot of tension depending on the woman. And in that particular, yep. my relationship, I mean, Hallie's mom and I are totally good now, but there was a period when she was small, you know, Hallie would go home and say, Walker, this Walker, that Walker, this Walker, that, right. Which made her mom really uncomfortable, understandably. Right. Um, in my previous marriage, um, the kid's mom wasn't involved for about five years. It was just me. And then she got sober. She got herself together. She changed her life. She's an amazing woman. And she came back and they're all really close. And she thanked me for the years that I gave her kids, you right. know, but still there's that, you know, loyalty that kids go through. So how yes. do you navigate that as a stepmom? You don't want, I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to put pressure on my step kids or my, I don't mean like that term step kids, but I feel like they're my kids. And I know that that could bother the mom, <laughs> their mom bothers their mom that I feel that way sometimes in that part, that, that ownership part that we naturally have as women, which I get, I get that. I may feel the same way. I haven't experienced it, but I may right. have experienced that too. So I was very understanding of that. And, um, you know, I, and I just love kids. So I, I did my best to try not to create um, that experience, but women will compete with women. Yeah. And the most important thing that you can do is not do that with each other, because especially when there's a child in the middle, and I was always nervous about creating loyalty conflict within my, my kids, all of right. them. 
Right. Because I didn't want them to feel like they had to um, choose. Right. But they well, did, but- they shouldn't have to choose. I, I mean, I'm a stepmom too. And I always, I'm very direct with the kids. Like I'm not here to replace your mom. That's, we are two totally separate relationships. It's like, you don't, if you have that new friend, you got to kick somebody out of the friend group because you can only have three, you know, like we have a, an unlimited capacity to love. And so when we get new relationships that are positive, it doesn't need to affect the other relationships. They stand on their own. And so by not having that, you're hurting yourself and me and everyone else. And, and I get that the being torn situation with your parents, but I'm a, I am not the same relationship and I don't want to be. And That's right. I have a great relationship with my stepkids because I'm, I'm not there. I don't in any way want to take her place. And I also always thought, you know, if my ex-husband ever remarried, I told him, I hope it's somebody that loves the kids the way we do. And it's wonderful and beautiful because how great that they would get that in their lives. Absolutely. So you got, you have to let go of a lot in step parenting on both sides. Yes, you do. You do. And, and, and like I, like I said, I feel so grateful that my relationships with my kids' moms yeah. is amiable and yeah. that it went through that with Hallie's mom. We went through that transition. We went through difficult times. Um, and, and just because, you know, girls go through difficult times. Hallie went through difficult times going right. between two homes, uh-huh. you know, as a teenager, as a young woman dealing with all her changes and all her, you know, becoming a woman, all of that, when you're going from home to home is not easy. That custody thing is a lot right. harder on kids than you, we realize, you know, going back and forth different environments while we're in going through puberty and going through all this inner disruption. So, um, so yeah, it, my experience as a stepmother trying to get pregnant was challenging. Those, those were the, her younger years and where there was that competition going on and trying to find that, you know, I, I was perceived as a threat um, is, is essentially what, what happened, which is, like I said, understandable, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not a threat <laughs> in that way. I'm not, but that, that's what I was, you know, and I'm not a threat. I'm just not, it's not my nature to threaten a woman to be somebody who's a threat, but you cannot control how somebody responds to you and the difference you are. You can't, you hope. And that's why, like, for me, my, I feel I'm compelled to serve women to that understanding, to recognize, recognizing how powerful we are and how important it is that we support one another, that we honor one another, that we honor what we are as a woman, as just the being that we are, take the roles, take the role of mother, take the role of woman, take the role of daughter, wife, all of that, set it aside and just look at what you are as a being. You are this powerful being with amazing gifts. See that in every woman you see, see that in them. And when you see that in them, you will see it in yourself and you won't feel, you won't feel the competition. You won't feel the need to um, want to, uh, impede another person, another woman in any way, or I'm just, the word competition is perfect because we really can't compete with one another. We may think we can, but we really can't. Mm-hmm. We're all so unique. We're all meant to be here. We're all here doing something special. We're meant to be who we are, our unique selves. So if our, you know, marriage doesn't work out and we end up with another woman and she ends up impacting our child there, unless she's damaged in an unhealthy way and doing something terrible, she's, your daughter's meant to, your son's meant to have this person who can be a wonderful gift to your child. Like you just said, this is the opportunity that is often missed from not again, communicating, not saying, Hey, like, I wish that we would Hallie's mom and I would have had this conversation. I couldn't have had, I couldn't have it with um, my previous uh, marriage kid's mom because she was not available until she was. Um, But Hallie's mom was always available. And I would have loved to have been able to sit down and say, okay, this is really freaking uncomfortable. (laughs) 
Right. And right. we just talk about how uncomfortable this is. Tell me how uncomfortable it is for you. And like just having this sort of template, we're in the step parent situation. How do we have this conversation? Let's have these, ask these questions. Mm-hmm. Let's just out ourselves for the discomfort. I'm uncomfortable that my husband had sex with you before me and has a child and I may not be able to have children. That's probably what I've said to her. I'm uncomfortable because I'm trying to have children. You and my husband had the thing I would love to have with my child. Right. But I mean, with my husband, the thing I would love to have with my husband, but I may not be able to. So that makes me feel inferior or less of, you know, and just makes me feel disempowered. I guess that's a good way to put it. And then have her say, well, I feel threat- threatened by you. You're impacting my child. She's my child. Yeah. You know, we don't have these flipping conversations. They're so important between women. So important to get that crap out from under the rug so that you can look at each other for who you are and make an agreement. And the child doesn't feel the impact of all that tension. And for the longest time, she dealt with that tension because it was like, you know, there was just like, I was trying to keep back how I would go say things that were so, you know, um, innocent. Walk her this, walk her that. Make, making her mom feel uncomfortable, um, you know, and then us trying to get pregnant and not being able to have a moment to, to, to get pregnant. It seems like things yeah. were always coming up and there was just all this weird stuff happening. And it was all about not supporting one another, Jen. It was yeah. about just not supporting one another. How do we get better at that as women and as parents? That is the magical question that we're not answering today, unfortunately. I'm sorry <laughs> to disappoint everyone. <laughs> we don't have the eight ball, the magic wand. Nope. Yeah. Walker, I want you to tell people how to find you and you're a published author. You have your own website so people can buy your book and yes. that's your story. Yes. So tell yes. me how let's, let's uh, end by telling people how they can find you. Okay. You can find me at my website, walker, walkerbrand.com. Uh, you can find me at I am Walker Kimberly on Instagram and Facebook. Used to be Walker Brandt, but my Facebook was hacked and I'm still waiting in the queue. So I had to open two new accounts. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well, Walker Brandt. And I am also on Twitter as, as Walker Brandt and on TikTok as Walkie Talk. <laughs> oh, that's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Walkie with a Y T O K walkie talk. Um, yes, I'm a published author. It's my book. This, a lot of what I talked about today isn't actually in the book. Mm. <laughs> Some of it is, but not all of it. Um, yeah. As you said to me, this conversation will go in different ways and, and it's raw and real. And, um, some of the things I didn't share every detail, there's a lot more in there that's that we didn't discuss in just more uh, different parts of my life and my career, how I ended up becoming an actress, um, how I created success through that journey, how I was able to create success despite what I was living through. Um, and uh, it's called Awaken, my book, Discovering Yourself Through the Light of Your Innocence. That subtitle, what that means is that no matter what we go through, there is the light of our innocence and it's a huge power that we have in all of us. It doesn't ever change. It just gets, you know, covered. There's influences and perceptions and impacts of our life that end up shrouding it at times. And when we peel it back and look at it, it can heal exponentially. And that's what I use to heal and to be able to create again, success in my life. Uh, and have a successful marriage and, and bonus mom experience and career. Um, and I wrote the book because I had a friend and a, a mentor um, say, your story doesn't belong to you, Lisa Nichols. It belongs to the person it serves. Mm. And she inspired me to come clean. Um, yeah, she's, she's a really amazing woman uh, to come clean with my story and recognize that there's no reason to keep it so hidden and to speak about it. And so I did. And so that's, uh, and now I, I help women 
discover they're irresistible. So I've, I, I'm creating, I've already created it, but it's a uh, program called Awaken Your Irresistible. And it is about recognizing the irresistible that you are, as we've discussed as women, the beautiful, amazing gifts that we are, and also tuning into the irresistible, that little thing in there that wants you to honor it, that little thing you know you need to do here that you might be shutting down or and connecting with that or just making reasons or excuses why you, you shouldn't do it or you can't do it. It's opening up to your freedom and uh, an expression uniquely as you. So, yeah. Thank you uh, so much. Holy cow. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> this is wonderful and surprising. I, I'm just grateful. Thank you so much for being such a wonderful, wonderful person to have a conversation with an amazing woman. <laughs>